Grassroots is brought to you by WorkIt, meeting the needs of entrepreneurs in Stillwater since 2017. Welcome to Grassroots, a podcast series for growing civic engagement through conversation. I'm Chris Peters. And I'm Michelle Charles, and we're your hosts for this series. Here is part two of our conversation with Will Joyce, running for re-election as mayor of Stillwater. So what books are on the docket? Yeah, what do you like to read? So what I'm reading right now, actually, over the course of, normally I'm a nonfiction sort of history sort of person. Um, Over the course of the pandemic, I've found Mm -hmm. um, silly fiction to be much more (laughs) enjoyable and much something something I'd I'd rather read. Uh, Actually, right now, reading a collection of P.G. Woodhouse, uh, Jeeves and Booster stories. Um, Great, you know. 20s just slapstick kind of comedy oh absolutely um fun stuff there but i've also i've got team of rivals that's sitting on my bedside table that i've been getting through the the doris kearns goodwin um lincoln book um that is one of those everybody is supposed to have read and i've never really gotten through it and so that's kind of my if i have a serious moment of reading that's what i'm reading now but um but yeah i've i've read you know a bunch of tom clancy and and uh, Jack Reacher stories yeah, and kind of the yeah. this Lee the Childs. last couple of years I've spent a, a lot more time with uh, with fiction the um, Crazy Rich Asians trilogy oh yeah be, that book yeah. those books they're I have really not good. read the books but I saw the movie yeah the books are really good but yeah that's that's kind of the stuff I've been picking up lately okay very good I briefly I just started watching uh, Station Eleven on HBO. Mm, uh, the library is, was doing a whole the, this is the fun part about actually putting the news in the newspaper is uh <laughs> i get to you know place all the library stuff and, yeah and so they had planned so the story is based upon like uh post-apocalyptic crazy flu virus like wipes out most yeah. of the planet See, type that scenario. doesn't sound like fun to yeah read that right doesn't now. sound fun right now and uh and it was interesting because they were um kind of preferencing like hey this is a series that we're going to be reading these books. And they even had the author on oh, for yeah. a Zoom okay. and stuff. Yeah. And they were like, this was planned out before the pandemic. Yeah. Trust us. And uh, so I was kind of interested in that. And then now the uh, series is out on HBO. And uh, I've only, I'm only two episodes in. And it, it kind of jumps around timeline-wise. But, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting for, hmm. for yeah. this time. Yeah. You know, I have read some of the Jack Reacher books. Because I, I do like those types of things. It, yeah. it, you know, they crack me up, though, because sure. uh, the film version, Jack Reacher, played by Tom Cruise. Yeah. And he's like a six four in the book. Yeah. Than yeah. Jack it's, Reacher. Uh... <laughs> so. Yeah, I haven't seen any of the movies. Um, there's but... a series, actually. Yeah. Well, of, of movies? No, there's a new Jack Reacher series coming out. I saw that, and I saw that they corrected the casting, and I can't remember who it is that's playing him in the in the TV series. But I don't know, but he's somebody tall. who actually is more like the <laughs> character described in the book. I, I have this, um, this is one of those tangents that you may end up editing out, but, um, you know, I, I was an English major and watched movies for, for school. I mean, that's what I did. Right. Um, and... Uh, you know this whole translation of literature to film, like the the books and movies, and um, that are almost always worse as movies than they are, yeah. uh, you know, as books. Like it's yeah. hard to imagine something that was a better. Uh, the only example I I give people is uh, Shawshank Redemption, which is okay. a novella by Stephen oh. King originally, 
Um, and it's a good short story from Stephen King. It's really good, but right. the film is just so well done. And so, I mean, it right. compared to the the book, I mean, you know, things like people. Are, I don't know if you're a big Lord of the Rings fan. Oh yeah, yes. oh yeah. That's that's I actually cannot. the first series of books besides the Bible that I ever yeah. ever really got into and read the whole thing. And, Even the Silmarillion oh. and like the nerdy go off the deep end. So I wasn't I, did, I wasn't super into them as a kid. I read The Hobbit originally mm-hmm. as a kid. Um, but then when the movies were going to come out of the Lord of the Rings movies, I thought, you know, I'm like, okay, I want to read the book first. Yeah. Sure. I try to do that Same with Same thing most, for me like, too. Yep. And so I went through the whole series of books um, right before the films came out. And I, to this day, have still never finished one of the Lord of the Rings films. Oh, I can't wow. watch them. Just like they just it. make me crazy because the books are so good. Yes. yes, and there's so. I mean, it's it's impossible, right? To to yeah. ta- ter- turn thousand pages of books into a movie. Yeah, that's you got to cut things. Yeah, you got to rearrange. But things. oh my gosh, I just can't do it. Like it just, I'm I'm really uh, uh, picky about literature translated. To my film. hope is <laughs> that so we are transitioning. So we're we're talking about how. Uh, you know, when you're trying to fit something in a, a three-hour film or even a trilogy, we're like, okay, we're going to go nine hours. Yeah. But now with the transition to, you know, like a Game of Thrones style or something where we could have 10 seasons with a hundred, you know, hour-long right. episodes, there might be a potential future for the next Lord of the Rings that is that style. And maybe they don't have to cut out like... Tom Babaldi and and all these yeah. other areas, yeah. and then they can maybe follow the books a little bit more, yeah. and maybe people will be able to like digest that better. Well, I think that you're you're already seeing that a little bit with, um, for example, Dune, the latest mm-hmm. screen treatment of Dune. They've chosen to do it in two installments, yeah, rather than the David Lynch 1980s version, yeah, which you know tried to cram it all into what a two hour and however many minute movie. Mm-hmm. And then because it couldn't give all the backstory and the context, mm-hmm. Character it had this yeah. weird voiceover. Yeah. Everybody was sitting there doing something and then you could hear their thoughts over it. Mm-hmm. You know, and in spite of having Sting in it, it was still a problematic <laughs> movie for me. But I, I, so I did like the, the newer version and I mean, but it did feel like a lot of um, exposition. Yeah. You know, it was very exposition heavy. You're, you're, you know, you're setting the scene, and then you're like, oh, so all the exciting stuff's going to happen in the next movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll just wait two more years. <laughs> you know, we're uh, my kids have seen all the Harry Potter movies, and the boys have all read the books, but my daughter hadn't read the books yet. Ah, uh, and so we we've been reading them together. Um, um the last here few weeks, and we were reading. You know, we're sort of still at the beginning of the first one. Um. But she just last night learned that Hedwig, Harry's owl, is a girl. Hmm. It's a female oh, owl, right? Um, which you learn in the books because it says she and you know this sort of thing. Well, in the movie, like she was just blown away the fact that Hed- Hedwig's a girl. Like I didn't, I didn't hmm. know Hedwig was a girl. <laughs> but it's funny to like read them after for her to be reading the books after uh, having seen the movies. Where she's like, oh, I didn't really, you know, I mean, there's so much of that background. And I'm the same way with Harry Potter. I've actually never seen all of the movies in any of them completely. Right. Um, certain scenes I've I've seen. And and they're I think they're really well done for, again, what they are. But, I mean, you're taking just way too much to try to get. Uh, and so much of that detail. That's the kind of like. 
that's the part about books that's great you know it's right. that all that little background and that what's going on in somebody's head and it's so hard to translate that to film well and i think you know you brought up shawshank redemption mm. and i think that's one of the reasons that stephen king's work has been so hard to bring to the screen because so much of his horror is internal yeah i mean it's it's always you know the the evil thing figures out a way to exploit somebody's fatal flaw yeah or corrupts them in some way and it happens over time and it's this very internal process and uh you know and sometimes the people you know and love can you know turn out to be mm -hmm. you know part of it and i think that there's no good way to just show that yeah. in a film and so it's very very difficult to do you know some of yeah. a lot of his work well yeah absolutely and and that um again way off on a rabbit trail here but I, I wrote a paper in college about how um frank darabont who's the director of shawshank redemption um how he filmed violence in that movie to to make it stephen king like right because the book is not it's not it's actually even less probably uh graphic than most stephen king um but his depictions of violence in the movie are almost all off screen. They're mm. almost all sound and oral rather than visual, right? I mean, it's a very, you, if you think about it, it's very graphic and it's, you know, there are parts of that movie where you're just like, oh my gosh, like I don't yeah. really want to watch this. But it's actually, the violence is not on screen in a lot of most of those scenes. Mm. And it does kind of create that almost what you're describing that Stephen King, you're not really seeing it directly. You're, you're almost feeling it and you're hearing it and, and you right. know what's happening, but you're not necessarily seeing what's happening. And it's, it's really, I think effective at translating some of that, what you're describing, right? It's not overt horror. Right. right. It's, it's, or it's, it's not like overwhelming one sense. Yeah. It's trying exactly. to get yeah. those other senses. Like in real life, if you're like, you know, in danger or something, you're, your ears are probably yeah. going to pick up something before your eyes know what's going yeah. on. And well, when you see a picture that. of yeah. of Red in his cell hearing something happening outside to somebody else, right? That translates to you as like you have like you kind of feel what it's like to be sitting in this cell. You're not the one being um, you know, beaten up or whatever. You're hearing this and it's got mm -hmm. that psychological sort of side to it and it's sure. that's why one of the reasons I think that film is so well done because it it does translate that well without just putting a bunch of blood and gore on the screen. No, absolutely. And I think sometimes when you let people's imaginations fill in the blanks, exactly. it, I mean, they're going to imagine whatever's scary to them. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think it can be more effective on an individual level, yeah. too. Yeah. If yeah. you give people a little bit of space to fill in mm -hmm. the, those blanks. Yeah, it's interesting. Going a little bit back to The the Hobbit is uh, sometimes I'll make references, uh, especially like when my birthday comes along, and I'm like, man... I wish birthdays were kind of like how Hobbits did it, you know? And people that watch the movie don't like don't, don't get that. Yeah, that's well. They kind of there there's there's the scene of like okay, uh Bilbo's throwing a party for everybody, but there's never there's not really an explanation of uh on your birthday, you are the one giving to everybody yeah. else and then everybody right. kind of does this regifting thing yeah. and and you know, the book gets more into those details oh, yeah. into into that 50 Hobbit pages culture. On that. Yeah, party. yeah, like why hobbits do yeah. things they they do, and then the uh, and then the movies. I mean, they tried their best to fit yeah. that in, but yeah. time you can't get the whole thing. Yeah, and Wait. that's where I mean, books are are timeless in a way, right? You you could spend a year reading one book if you wanted to. You you, you yeah, the reader gets to choose 
how much they want to or you absorb. Can, and you can read them over and over again and, yeah. and feel, right. you know, I mean, you you didn't catch everything the first two or three times that, that you read it. Mm-hmm. That is true. You know, and I, I have to say, well, over, I, I tend to just in general default to escapism mm-hmm. when it comes to movies. Yeah. I, I do tend to do that. And there are certain, and I like dumb movies. I mean, you know, you would think I was like a 13 year old boy, like based What's on the movies What's the last dumb movie watched. you watched, Michelle? Uh... Uh, Talladega Nights. <laughs> I have to watch it if it's on cable. I mean, if it's on TV and I'm I'm flipping through the channels, I will stop and watch. You know, the Ballad of Ricky Bobby. <laughs> that's a good one. It. I mean, it's yeah. That's those are the ones that you know you can just kind of you can zone out a little bit exactly. and just laugh at the parts that you know are going to be funny. And, exactly, yeah. and yeah. it's like it's not. There's nothing horrible. It's <laughs> just goofy, and it just yeah, kind of yeah. takes you away. Yeah, Absolutely. That, that part of uh, going back to studying film in college, um, it does take a little bit of the fun sometimes out of just watching a movie for fun. You know, now I'm like, actually, Rochelle, you know, when I was doing that in college, you know, she'd be like, well, can we just watch a movie and not like take notes and <laughs> analyze like... <laughs> it? <laughs> I know. But we did. I, I was, um, I received a Wentz research, uh, undergraduate research grant while, while at OSU. One of the f- few times it was they were awarded outside of the sciences, right? I got a humanities uh, research grant to do a project on the portrayal of presidents in film. Sort oh, of very a, cool. A, a, a political science slash uh, film kind of a project. And so focused on, on President Lincoln and President Nixon because they're really the most, yeah. um, the, the presidents with the most film portrayals uh, and you know, entirely opposite in terms Absolutely. of how they're portrayed, right? This and so it kind of went into this whole, you know, the the sort of vilification uh, versus the deification of mm-hmm. you know Nixon versus versus Lincoln. And um, part of the research we got to do was to go to the Museum of Modern Art in New York and go to the D.W. Griffith archives. D. Griffith was one of the first um, narrative filmmakers. Birth of a um, Nation. Birth of a Nation, yes, mm-hmm. but also had a, a Lincoln film. Okay. Um, that he did, and so we got to go watch an original print of that, and and do some uh, research into his. They've got all of his notes, and um, you know a lot of his materials and things at at the museum in New York, and um, spent a lot of time kind of looking at how does film sort of how does it tell the story to us? I mean, because for for most of the United States now, um, our understanding of history has come through. Uh, Saving Private Ryan, and you know, I mean, these. This is our literature. Film right. is our, you know, this is our common um, literature. It's now, you know, almost translated to to long TV shows, right? I mean, yeah. the history of the West as told by Yellowstone, or yeah. you know, I mean that that. But that's that's the common understanding we have of historical events in a lot of ways, right? And and the 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 way we see Lincoln and the way we see Nixon in a lot of ways is colored by the films we've seen about these these uh, people and um, and how those films have been done to create um, you know very I would say caricatures of, of both of them right because no one's ever as uh, black and white as they are on on the movie screen right I mean we just talk about flattening having to flatten a book yeah. down to something you yeah. can put on right. the screen right you've got to get rid of some of that nuance or it just you can't fit it all. Right. I mean, put someone's life on screen. Put somebody's presidency on screen. You're doing that even more. Yeah, you're flattening out right. so much. And and uh, it was a really interesting project and uh, and really a lot of fun. But um, really an interesting study in how we as a culture and we as people 
we have to latch on to those touch points, right? Where we go, okay, well, this guy freed the slaves, this guy, you know, had Watergate, whatever. And we mm-hmm. kind of, and that becomes our whole picture of a person, uh, especially when there's four films just about that one incident, right? Or there's, right. you know, so uh, it, it's a uh, an interesting and, and a little bit scary, I think, in the way we, we see history through a, a very um, narrow lens. It's not a very nuanced way of looking right. at an entire human being. I mean, you've got Nixon who absolutely Watergate and he had all yeah. kinds of issues. I mean, he did. He had all kinds of issues. But he also opened, opened up relations with China. Mm-hmm. And I I believe he's, he's often rated as one of the more intelligent presidents mm-hmm. that we've had. And Abraham Lincoln in, um, you know, I'm Native American. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my friends from college, you know, were recently posting things about Abraham Lincoln sure. signing off on a mass hanging of a bunch of Lakota warriors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, not always so clear cut. There is no movie about that incident there is. in the Lincoln presidency. Never seen that. Right? No, I mean, that's, you're right. And there's, there's, there's not a whole lot. I mean, there, the Nixon's China strategy is kind of out there but you don't right. have anything where there's like this you know you could write a really good interesting movie that that puts out there and that highlights Nixon and his relationship with China and his ability to connect people around the world in, in a way that hadn't been uh, tried really at that point but right. we don't have that movie either right, right. and so it's uh, and so you know again from a popular perspective those are incidents that don't really get you know, unless you're out there reading biographies, in-depth biographies of these of these presidents, you're not seeing those sides of them. So as a film guy, what do you think about the tendency now to everything's either based on a comic book or it's like a remake or a reboot <laughs> of something that's already been made? And I understand that there are no like completely new ideas. Yeah. I mean, if you... Everything's go, a remix. Well, I mean, everything's <laughs> a remix of Shakespeare and then Shakespeare's pulling out... Biblical themes. Yeah, which is a remix of the Bible. You know, which is just, you know, human stories. Human stories are, I mean, there there are a finite set of human stories. There's a finite set of interesting human stories, right? Of 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 dramatic, right? If you're trying to tell a dramatic story, if you're trying to catch somebody's interest and and captivate them for two hours, there there's only so much you can do, right? I mean it's (laughs) it's uh, the hero, the villain, the you know, I mean that there's a there's a there's a formula there that that works, and that I mean, it's been the same for thousands of years that we've been doing drama as a as a species, right? I mean, Since it's Gilgamesh. It, it's it's yeah. it is yeah. I mean, it's the and so there's there's that right. I mean, there is a you're going to have the same structure in a lot of these things, but but I think you're you know I I, I agree that there's um, some issue about the way we do characters, right? I mean, with with remakes and with everything being a comic book and you know, or, or whatever that that's coming from a previously told story, you're getting that same character. And I think people feel comfortable with that, right? Because they know, mm-hmm. right. When you make a Spider-Man movie, okay, well, I know Spider-Man, right. I know who this is. I know where he comes from. Yeah. I know, you know, I have all that background so I can, I'm comfortable with this character. I don't have to think about who is this and why is he here and what's he doing and what, you know, I mean, so when you get Marvel 28 or whatever one we're on at this point, right you you're not trying to figure out who's who right there's maybe there's one new character where you're like okay whose side is he on um but but a lot of it is just it's comfortable right you can just focus on the fun parts right you don't have to think about and 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 that's one of the things i think with film with with new stories a lot of it is it's not the story it's not the 
the rise and fall of the action that's new. It's the people and the, you know, the situation that, that someone is in. And, and those movies are, are challenging, right? Because you kind of figure out who this, who is this person and do I like them? And, you know, I think, I think the part of the, uh, what you see now with characters is that they're so middle of the road, right? They're all good and bad, right? We've got this whole mm, film sure. has really t- stopped doing has kind of tried to get away from this white hat, white hat, white hat, black hat, right? You know, good guy, bad guy, and they've created these characters that are just like so ambiguous. They're complicated. Oh my gosh! I mean, the <laughs> so TV shows, the the Breaking well, Bad, Game of Thrones, the, Game of Thrones, yeah, the antiheroes, the, yeah, the um. Oh, what's the Mad Men, mm-hmm. right? I mean, those are really difficult to watch for a lot of you know us that that kind of look at it and go, well, I don't, I don't really like any of these people. I mean, <laughs> well, when they, am when, I supposed to like this guy? Am I not supposed to like him? What am I? When the first no. couple came out, it was like, oh, this is different, yeah, because it's not so clear cut. And someone who's a good guy can do bad things, and yeah. someone who's a bad guy can do something heroic. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of like real life. And at first that seemed a little refreshing, but now they're all that way. And now it's it's the Sopranos set in Madison Avenue. It's the yeah. Sopranos set on a ranch in Wyoming or Montana. Right. It's, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of gotten that same. Right. These are all now just sort of remakes of a conflicted boss of some kind, you know, who's good and bad and does, you know, I mean, so you have that same sort of thing. Sure. I mean, that that char- but that's that character, right? That putting taking a new person and putting them in an interesting situation and figuring out how are they going to deal, right? How are they going to interact in this scenario? Sure. That's hard, mm-hmm. right? That's the hard part of coming up with something new and, and creating uh, a, a new story. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, it's a lot easier if you just kind of take that formula, right? Whether it's the good guy and the bad guy or whether it's the, you know, the, the conflicted antihero or whatever right. it is. I mean, you kind of now at this point, you just kind of have those patterns that we use. Uh, it's kind of funny. I've I've finally gotten my husband to watch some sci-fi. He is not a, a science fiction guy. Hmm. He likes war movies. He likes westerns. Yeah. He likes things that are rooted in a reality that he recognizes. Mm-hmm. Generally mm-hmm. speaking, I got him into the Mandalorian because it's basically a western. Yeah. yeah. I well, mean, and now we're watching the Book of Boba Fett, which is <laughs> super like a western. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It even has a soundtrack of a western. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So anyway, uh, it, it's just interesting how you can see the different, um, I, I don't know, the different influences of things and the, the universality yeah. of these stories. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the Mandalorian after a while, it's like, okay, he's like Kane. He's wandering around trying to do something and now he's going to help these people this week. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting also with these uh, stories is now the mix of... Okay, so like Spider-Man, for example. Well, now the actor, somebody playing Spider-Man, now might be a different color. Yeah. Uh, or I think in the comic books, Thor is now like a female. And so, I mean, those comic books, they're always how to keep a story fresh well, is just fruit. remix some things. But then it, it allows, you know, it, it allows maybe for that little girl yeah. growing up to sure. go and see like, oh, uh, Captain Marvel. Yes, Captain Marvel was originally not a female, um, and so now you know little girls can go up and like, yeah, it could be the strongest character in the whole Marvel universe, or you know, at the time, right? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of fun and interesting too. And well, I think it yeah. and challenging for some people who want things to stay the same. Well, and that's the, I mean, 
that's the reason we need new stories, right? Or we need new ways of looking at the same old stories is, um, you know, literature, film, whatever it is, art is supposed to tell us something about ourselves or, mm-hmm. or, or show us the world in a certain way or get us to look at the world in a certain way. And when you've got retread sort of stories over and over again, right? They're not teaching you anything new about the world or the way to look at the world. Well, when you can come up with different ways to say, okay, yeah, this is a Marvel comic movie, but you know, we're, we're casting the, the, the hero differently or we're putting them in a different situation or, or making them somebody where you go, wait a second, you know, she's female or she's, you know, this is a, this is a different, this is a different way of looking at it. Right. And this is, it, it can have that effect of saying, okay, this is the same story. We've got the same general storyline with the same general idea, but now it's, it's causing me to look at my world or look at the world or, or examine myself in a, in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's, I think, where, you know, where you can bring in um, that originality and, and why that's uh, helpful and why it's, it's cool to be able to take some of those old stories but recast them in a way that gets people to think. Well, and talking about, say, crazy rich Asians. Yeah. I mean, and I, I'm thinking in terms of representation, mm-hmm. which is hugely important. I think that there are a lot of stories that have portrayed heroic characters or people who had a lot of agency mm-hmm. in certain ways that maybe some people couldn't easily relate to. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that if a kid can see someone who looks like them, you know, doing something, then they feel more like they can do it. Mm-hmm. So I think that representation is really, really important, not just in terms of, say, okay, we're going to make Spider-Man black, yeah. but it's like that representation of different cultures so that people outside that culture can also come to have an appreciation and mm-hmm. understanding of it. Crazy Rich Asians, I mean, huge hit, you know, uh, rom-com, yep. but also set within a very specific world that helps you to maybe understand a culture that you might not be familiar with absolutely and and a pretty standard rom-com right yes, i mean there's nothing groundbreaking about it from no. and from a even from the books right i mean that's it's jane austen in singapore exactly you know? i mean it's exactly. kind of a, which, which but that's that's what's so cool about it right because it is a common you know you, you're not the story itself is not groundbreaking but seeing the different culture seeing the way um a, a different culture interacts in these settings right i mean when you've got a love story that's not happening in central park um you know it's happening somewhere else in the world you get to see uh how different people and different cultures uh handle these sorts of relationships and what kinds of things come up and there's a lot of universality to it sure. but there's also a lot of oh i you know that's a you know, a different kind of culture and a different sort of outlook on, on how this works. I think I was going to, you know, also mention the, the way Disney movies have um, sort of branched out. I mean, as when mm-hmm. we were growing up, the difference in Disney movies were basically the hair color of the princess. Yeah. Sure. Right? I mean, yep. it was blonde or redhead or brunette. <laughs> sure. I mean, it was basically the same. That was it. Right. And, and, and now I'm my, my daughter and her friends were over at the house yesterday painting or doing some kind of a craft and listening to the Encanto soundtrack oh, at, man. On, mm-hmm. on, you know, and it's on um, repeat in our yeah, house. And oh, it's, yeah. And it's, it's really cool. I mean, from a storyline perspective, it's, it's the same basic mm-hmm. storyline generally, sure. but you know, they're, they're now singing, uh, different kinds of songs in different languages. And, you uh-huh. know, I mean, there are lyrics that, that, uh, you know, and so it's, it's, 
And I think for, so for my daughter to sort of see that broader world, but also for a little girl who comes from a different background than my daughter to see her background or her culture on screen in a Disney movie um, is such a, I mean, it really does make a difference. And I think also, you know, I mean, as a woman, I look at these characters now and they're not sitting there waiting to be saved by a prince. I mean, they're saving people. They're the ones with the agency. They're going out and sometimes, you know, making people angry to go fight the battle themselves. Mm -hmm. Or save the prince themselves. Or to save the prince. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's kind of a a cool thing, too. Frozen was so... Uh, I think Frozen was the first one that I sort of like we watched in the theater and right. I was like watching it going, whoa, this is this is not a normal this is not the normal Disney storyline. This exactly one's, this one's a little different. Yeah, the <laughs> guy right, coming right, in so, to be a prince, a uh, little yeah. bit a little bit deceitful. Yeah, and then the kind of you know bumbling guy that just wants to live with his uh, deer or elk or whatever his reindeer reindeer yes. right. Uh, you know, just wants people. to be left alone, make some ice, and do about his business, and then. You know he's got to go follow around these princesses yep. while they uh, while they try to save the world. Exactly. There you go. And he's kind of in the support role. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which is you know kind of a cool thing. Yeah, so absolutely. so film. I mean that's okay. So let's go back to the Stillwater movie then. Oh okay. I, I recently um, a Facebook friend of mine said they went to see it mm-hmm. and they were very disappointed. <laughs> Because it wasn't, I, I think it wasn't as action-packed yeah. as, as they had expected. But then also, I think she just felt kind of bummed out at the end of it. And like mm. there were no real clear, like she wanted mm. a hero. She had hoped for a happy ending, maybe didn't get either. What's your take on that as a, a film guy? Uh, so it's a really, uh, it was really an interesting movie. I saw it, I think I've seen it twice now. Um, it's kind of two movies in one, right? There's the sort of the storyline of his relationship in France and then, you know, with, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but with the, the French woman that helps him out. Right. And then there's the storyline with his daughter and they're, they're sort of different movies almost. Uh, neither one of them is an action movie. Neither one of them is, is, you know, what they, I think people expected taken, you know, or, or one of those, sure. uh, those trailers, of, man, you yeah, know, those I mean, fast they, cut trailers, they did. you know, they kind of, I yeah. just hurt they themselves with the way it. they did that. But, um, I, I really enjoyed the film, uh, and and I think you're right. You kind of get to the end of it, and I mean, honestly, I think his daughter is the bad guy in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's the one who never really learns anything. She doesn't change. She doesn't, um, you know, she tricks basically people into letting her out of prison. Even though I mean, this was really uh, in in this story, and I know there's been a whole lot of talk about. Amanda Knox that it's based on that's really doesn't follow the storyline at all but sure um but in the movie she you know she manipulates and and right you know she kind of ends up in you kind of look at her at the end and go man you, you didn't learn anything here you didn't you know nothing is better off because of you um but he I, I think certainly and, I, and honestly it kind of goes to this what we're talking about with that experience of another culture right I mean it's it's kind of the fish out of water you know you take the oklahoma oil guy and put him into france and and he learns that oh well maybe the world isn't you know as crazy outside of my normal experience as i think it is and maybe there are people that i can get to know and you know he kind of has that growth experience and kind of comes back and i think even the fact at the end with um kind of the way you can see he feels about his daughter i mean you can kind of i think see in his performance that 
he's not happy about what she's done. And he kind of feels like she has manipulated her way into this situation. And, uh, and just him recognizing that, right. Him not being all raw, raw about, I don't really care. We got my daughter back. You know, I mean, he's conflicted about it at the end. And, um, and, and so I, you know, it, it's subtle for sure. And it's not something that you kind of jump up and down and go, Oh yeah. You know, there's a great, I mean, it sort of reminded me a little bit of no country for old men. Right. Um, and, and the end of that, which by the way is a, a really good film ad- adaptation of a really, really good book. Um, but it's kind of got that amb- a bit of ambiguity, but I think you do see in Matt Damon's character that, that kind of like, maybe the world isn't what I thought it was. And I can't remember the line at the end, but she says, I think she, they're sitting on the porch and she says, yeah, it's, you know, always come home. Everything always looks just the same as it always did. And he says, he, I think it looks completely different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's kind of, I mean, honestly, a little bit even heavy handed <laughs> with the way they <laughs> right. did that last line. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he has gained a different perspective on the world and she hasn't. Right. And the, I mean, just that look on his face, that look in his eyes mm-hmm. as he says that. I mean, my whole thing too, and, and you're right, that, that section where he's living in France, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's kind of almost this interlude for him, right? Yeah. It's like this um, opportunity for redemption. Because this is a guy who views himself as, you know, a guy who messes things up, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he messed up his family life. You know, he got in trouble with the law. He wasn't there for his daughter. He feels that he carries this tremendous guilt. You know, uh, in some way he formed her or didn't form her Mm -hmm. in a way that led to her situation. And, you know, and he's trying to do what he can to make it right. But I think on some level, he just feels kind of like a guy who messed it up. Mm -hmm. And then this is his opportunity to have that family life and to, you know, kind of be that stand up guy and take care of a little girl Mm -hmm. and do that. And then at the end, I mean, in order to save the other daughter in his mind anyway, Mm -hmm. He messes it up, but he's learned something and yeah. he's learned that he's capable of living a different way. And he's gotten outside of his comfort zone and even outside of like his normal, I don't know. I mean, you, you know, just where he would normally go. Mm-hmm. And and I think learned something uh, about the world and himself. Yeah. Even that just sort of sen- sense of self-awareness, yeah. right? That you can tell he has at the end where he, he understands you know, what happened and why it happened. And, and that seems new for him. Right. Right. And, you know, I think at the beginning you sort of see this like, well, I just do what I do and right. things happen. Right. And at the mm-hmm. end he's much more of a, okay, well now I understand at least why we're in the situation we're in and why I had to make decisions I had to make. See, and I kind of leave it with a sense of hopefulness, at least for him, that having this new awareness, maybe now that, gives him a few of the tools or some of the Mm -hmm. knowledge and awareness that he needs to go out and build a better life for himself. Mm -hmm. Something that he's going to find more happiness and Mm -hmm. satisfaction in. Yeah. I think it it kind of, before he's going through the motions, it kind of leaves you at the end of like, well, what decision is he going to make? You could totally see him maybe, you know, getting his daughter back going. And then you could even see maybe he, you know, wants to reconnect with those Mm -hmm. in France. Like, you know, he's got more possibilities now for yeah. himself that he didn't give himself originally. So, yeah, I don't think she's going to take him back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think she. I don't think that's an option. About, right? I, think I think that's the daughter done. asks him that at the end. Asks yeah. something about like, do you do you see? You know, and he says no. I think she's gone or whatever. Yeah, he said I can't. He said it doesn't mean it wasn't good. Yeah, I can't go back, but it doesn't mean it wasn't good. But yeah. but I think you're right, Chris. That he, you, know, you kind of do walk out of it thinking. 
this guy's going to be better. He's going to do better going forward than he did when when we first met him. And right. conversely, with the daughter, I mean, you kind of look at it and go, "Well, yeah, it's the same place it's been. She's going to end up in the same place. Mm-hmm. You know, she's going to end up in in the same sort of trouble at some point. You know, because um, because she hasn't really learned right. That. So. Yeah. In part three of our conversation with Will, you will hear his thoughts on the duties of city council and government's role to create public health policies. Thanks again to Work It for sponsoring this series. For more information about Studio Stillwater and how you can help support our mission as a listener or sponsor, go to studiostillwater.net. There you can sign up for emails, get a free sticker, or send us a message. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.